This is the Savvy Philanthropist Podcast. My name's Kirk. We are a financial planning podcast for people who want to do philanthropy well. Whether you're a donor trying to do some good in the world, or you're a development officer trying to connect resources with the people who need them, this podcast is all about how to navigate our U.S. legal and financial system in order to make the greatest philanthropic impact you can. This is episode 24, Gifts in Kind. Before we start today, I want to provide one more resource from the last week's episode. One of the most ambiguous parts in the process of making charitable gifts with closely held securities is the question of how far is too far when it comes to organizing or planning the sale prior to actually making the charitable gift. We know it's a crucial issue, but the IRS has not been terribly clear about it. But in the last day or two, I discovered a really nice article discussing the problem. This article is written for planned giving professionals, so it gets kind of technical, but it does a nice job of laying out the problem and some solutions so I wanted to make sure to push it out in case you might find it helpful. I put a link to the article in the show notes. Now, on to today's topic, namely gifts in kind. Obviously, the first question is, what exactly do we mean by a gift in kind? Basically, we're talking gifts of tangible property. There's some exceptions like trademarks and stuff like that, but generally, tangible property. Like when a collector donates a valuable manuscript to a university library or when a manufacturing company donates certain machinery to a trade school, stuff like that. These are clearly philanthropic gifts made for charity. As such, they are entitled to the same sort of tax treatment and tax deductions as other charitable gifts. But as you will not be surprised to learn, there are some rules to follow in order to maximize charitable impact in the tax-savviest way possible. Those rules can get a bit detailed, but I'll do my best to keep it succinct. As an initial matter, the basic rule is that a donor can deduct the fair market value of donated tangible property. This is, of course, the basic rule for all charitable contributions. But the substantiation has a bit of a segmented approach. First, if you donate tangible property with a fair market value of less than $250, then you can just take the deduction with your own good faith estimate of the value. Bear in mind that this sort of amount won't generally get you over the standard deduction, so it doesn't generally have much of a tax benefit, but you can include it in your taxes if you want. The second tier is gifts of tangible property with a value of $250 to $500. In this case, you can still use your own good faith estimate of the value of your gift. However, you also have to get a written acknowledgement from the charity that they received the gift and that you received no goods or services in exchange for the gift. The acknowledgement must include a general description of the property, but the charity cannot provide you with the determination of the value of the property. In all of these cases, determining the value is the responsibility of the donor. From here, the paperwork starts to pick up. If your gift has a value over $500, but not more than $5,000, you have to fill out the first half of what's called IRS Form 8283, and you have to include that with your own tax return in order to take the deduction. Again, you can use your own estimate of the value of the gift, but you might want to make sure you have some sort of substantiation other than your own say-so. As the numbers get bigger, the odds of the IRS having some questions also go up. By the way, the charity also has to sign this form. The fourth tier of gifts is when your gift has a value of $5,000 or greater, up to a value of $500,000. For this size gift, the donor has to complete the second half of IRS Form 8283. But here, the valuation requires work. The donor has to get a qualified appraisal, remember those from the last couple of episodes, of the value of the gift. That appraised value is what the donor's deduction will be, and the 8283 has to be included with the donor's tax return. The fifth and final tier of gifts consists of those gifts of tangible property with a value over $500,000. 
the situation is handled just like the tier above, namely a qualified appraisal and an 8283, but here the donor has to actually include the entire appraisal and the 8283 with his or her tax return. By the way, for the last two tiers, namely when gifts are over $500,000, the donee charity might also have some work to do. If the charity sells or otherwise disposes of the property less than three years uh, after receiving it, then the organization is required to file an IRS Form 8282 reporting the sale to the IRS. Suffice it to say that in that situation, the donor's paperwork and the charity's paperwork had probably better agree with each other or there will be questions. So donors and donees ought to work together on these forms. Simple, right? Not exactly. In most cases, you know, donating clothes to Goodwill or donating books to the local library, there really isn't much tax impact from giving gifts in kind. And that's okay. But when the dollars get a little bigger, there'll be some paperwork to do. But before you think you might just skip some of the paperwork, be sure to remember Martha Albrecht. She is the donor I mentioned in episode 19. Her gift was a gift in kind, but the charity forgot to give her the required written acknowledgement. And we all know what happened there. So be careful. Before wrapping up, I do want to add just a bit of commentary on these sorts of gifts. The first note is that it is really important to bear in mind that the value the IRS is talking about is the market value of the property, not the value the donor puts on it, except for the small gifts discussed up above. It can often be the case that a donor puts a very high personal value on some piece of property acquired long ago. Think of a baseball player's autograph or a selfie with a famous actress. That personal value is all well and good, but the test for the IRS is what the donor could actually sell the item for, and that is often a much smaller number. Second, charities need to be honest with the donors about what sort of benefit tangible property might provide. If a donor wants to give microscopes to the chemistry department, then great. But if the donor wants to give his Beanie Baby collection to a medical college, then the college should probably be honest enough to tell the donor that it's going to sell the collection and take the cash. My point is that tangible property is generally sold by the charity unless it can serve some real need of the organization. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you know other people who might find this podcast worthwhile, please share it on your social media platform of choice. And if you're feeling particularly generous, a rating and review for the show on whatever podcast service you use would really help to get the word out about the show. You can find The Savvy Philanthropist on the internet at thesavvyphilanthropist.net. You can find me on LinkedIn at the link below in the show notes, and you can follow me on Twitter where I am at RossPlan. Lastly, if you have any ideas, suggestions, or helpful insights, feel, feel free to email me at thesavvyphilanthropist at gmail.com. That's it for episode 24. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll start a new series, this time on gifts of real estate. You'll never guess, but it turns out there are a few rules. Until then, remember, do well, then do good, but always be savvy.